This podcast was brought to you by Pastor Mike Calstrip and Fellowship Church. For more information, visit thefellowship.church. The, the thing that I want to talk with you about um, <clears throat> is, um, well, it's family meeting. And the family meeting, just what I mean by that is I want you, uh, I want to help you understand uh, the position we as Fellowship ch- uh, Church have with regard to all of this uh, virus stuff that we've got going on. And so that you'll at least know our heart. And please know that uh, as I share some of these things with you, uh, it is necessary for people to do anything and everything that they can to help mitigate uh, the problems of this virus because it's real. I'm not suggesting that at all in the context of some of the things that I'm sharing with you. But um, so just to, to uh, say that, you know, in the beginning of this, March the 15th, uh, we closed our church. And it was closed until the 3rd of May when Governor Reynolds uh, said that religious organizations and institutions were uh, necessary or a vital part of, and thank God for her. Please pray for her uh, and all of those that are in authority that are you know, navigating through all of this. I mean, it's been a very challenging year. I can't begin to imagine what it's been like for this woman. And so she really does need your prayer. I think she's done a masterful job. Now, some people probably would argue uh, differently. I even think of Chrissy Noem up in uh, South Dakota and the job that she's done. And these, these women have taken some serious heat. And that's why people that believe God and are God-fearing really do need to pray for them. How many of you agree with that? And so I think that they've done uh, a masterful job. But so we closed and then we reopened in May. And, uh, and then we put all of the mitigation, not all, but many of the mitigation uh, matters into place to try to uh, curtail all of this. And um, since then, now here we are, uh, some almost nine months down the road now, uh, both state and federal uh, statistics have been, in other words, you know, the thing is, is when this came out, nobody knew what we, had, what we were dealing with. And, and it's understandable, you know, that things had to go the way that they did. But now we have statistical facts about the nature of this virus and how it behaves. And uh, unfortunately, uh, a lot of times people aren't using the facts to determine the ongoing direction uh, where our lives and, and things are concerned. And um, <clears throat> so consequently, Um, we have these facts, and I think it's important for people to know them. And the reason being is, is because a lot of what you hear is not true. And a lot of what it is that you hear is because of what people want you to hear. But these are facts that I'm going to share with you. And please know this also. These statistics that I'm going to be sharing with you, if you've lost a loved one, they are going to do very little to console you. And for that, I am sorry, and we're sorry for the loss that maybe you've experienced as a result of this. But we we feel like it's important as a church to communicate with you about our stance and our position so that you'll know our heart. Our heart is not to be adversarial. Our heart is not to be, you know, um, uh, you know, um, I don't even know how to describe it. That's not our point. But here are the statistics, and these are a lot of numbers, 
And so, you know, um, uh, it might be a little bit uh, uh, overwhelming in that regard, but we'll do our best. Um, these are age demographic statistics. In other words, we have a history. We know exactly what it is that's going on. And that is this, that from the age of zero to 19 years of age, the recovery rate for someone who has it is 99.997%. Now, you know, you maybe have heard, well, we had this infant, you know, that passed away. It was because of COVID or something like that. But it's so minuscule in terms of the loss of life. Between the ages of 20 and 49, it is 99.8. Between the ages of 50 and 69, it's 99.5. And then finally, from the age of 70 plus on up, it is 94.6. And so what you recognize is, is that the very vast majority of the loss of life has occurred in this last age group of people, those that are older. And so they obviously are at a much greater risk when it comes to this, and by all means, every means possible should be put into place as far as their lives are concerned in order to avoid that. But <clears throat> what's disappointing to me as a pastor, and that is simply that, you know, with the stats that we now have, is that both the federal and the state governments and their officials in their mitigation efforts, uh, I wish they would have had a much more targeted approach, that they would have taken that older group of people and really worked hard. Now, to some degree, they have, so on and so forth, but we've seen what happened in New York you know, with um, the, the loss of life as a result of the things that happened um, within the nursing homes. And again, I don't really blame anybody. It's just the way they tried to manage it and, and the problems that we had. It could have been done differently. There's no question about that. Are y'all on the, y'all hearing what I'm saying here? And so the point that I wanna be, uh, say is, is that I wish that they would have had a much more targeted kind of approach to these things. And instead, what we have or have had is like a one-size-fits-all, okay? And, um, and really, um, the real reason for my sharing this with you is in the recent weeks, I've had a conversation with someone within our church whose son ended up you know, starting to spiral out of control because he's been locked up in his house, hasn't been in church or school, I should say, and ended up having to be taken to counselors to talk to him. And that's just one. And I will say this to all of you parents, if you've got kids and you've got teenagers, talk to them. Talk to them. Find out what's going on in their minds because they've been locked up you know, as a result of all of this, and I gotta tell you, and that's the reason why I'm, you know, kind of forceful about this, because in my mind, yes, there is risk. I mean, there's a risk when you get uh, in your car and stick the key in the ignition and drive down the driveway. But there is a greater risk that is occurring where people's lives are concerned where this matter, you know, uh, finds itself. We've got people, you know, that we know the greater risk is we got drug overdoses, we have drug deaths, we have economic depression that's taking place as a result of this. P 
People are losing their livelihoods because of this. And unfortunately, in many of the democratic ruled states, they don't seem to care. And if I understand it correctly, if, if there is a, uh, uh, <clears throat> the, the incoming administration uh, comes in, there's talk of them shutting everything down for a hundred more days. And I gotta tell you guys, I don't agree with it one bit. Now, I know that I may stand in a place of criticism. I've been criticized like major. But you know what? Sometimes you got to ask yourself the question, what is really the worst circumstance that we find ourselves to be in? I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't say I weep, but I grieve for these business owners who have put all of their entire lives into these businesses and done everything to try to, you know, pacify the desires and yet still end up being walked on. And uh, I don't agree at all. You know, and, and again, it's because of the statistical facts that lead us to understand that yes, people are going to experience this you know, and they're gonna, but they're gonna go through it. We've had people in our congregation that have tested positive and had different various kinds of, you know, reactions, some more severe than others, but they're, they're recovering. Are you listening to me? And so, um, but there's not only economic, economic depression, but domestic violence, child abuse, and suicide rates. So, like I said, when I had this conversation with this parent, I got stirred. And uh, I wouldn't normally kind of, you know, even uh, visit about this, but I think, I think there's an understanding that needs to be had when it comes to what it is that, that, that we have going on here. And even as a church, I, you know, we need to meet. We need to meet. And listen, your kids need to meet. And everybody, if they really listen to what's going on, they all know it, you know? But then we have this pushback. And, and, and here's my thought to it. I mean, you can say what you want, but I'm telling you, this isolation is killing people, okay? And that's a fact. That's not just something I came up with because I want it my way. And so I just think that in the context of all of this, that there needs to be some kind of balance and let me again emphasize if you have kids you need to talk to them you need to get in their lives and find out what's going on because you might be i here's the thing i think if i have one person or a young person who i am aware of how many more are there i know of a pastor out east the pastor was talking about it they had three kids in their youth department that are all were all considering you know taking their lives because of this nonsense are you listening to me? And so I think that, you know, again, as a church, now listen, I am aware, you know, of the argument that, that kids can spread it, that people that are asymptomatic can spread it, and all of those different kinds of things. I, I understand that. But I'm talking about a greater risk than what it is that we're dealing with. And, and so, like I said, there's risks. But I believe that, you know, <clears throat> It's important for us to move on with our lives. Are you listening to me? And we'll pray for you. We'll believe God with you. 
I mean, you know, praise God, thank God for his blood, you know, for recovery and things of that nature. So I just say that, and, and the, again, the whole reason that I say it is, is that, you know, we have things in place if you wanna, you know, separate, and, and if you don't feel like you can attend, I, I understand that. But I'm telling you what, we're gonna meet, and we are going to have church because people need it as a part of their lives. Your kids, they need it as a part of their lives. You know, my son now is responsible for the youth ministry within the church, and he has the opportunity to be able to speak into your kids' lives, to encourage them, to help them, to bless them, and, and to be able to, you know, help them move through, and they need one another. And so parents, um, that's all I got to say about that. Are you listening to me? And so hopefully in the context of all of this, um, uh, you'll understand my heart. So um, I'm just, I, let me conclude. Y'all ready for a conclusion? Okay, good. <laughs> you know, as a church, here's the thing. We are going to cons uh, continue to serve and we are gonna continue to care. I don't know what's gonna happen after the first year, but we're gonna meet. Are you listening to me? You know, and again, I do that, I say that from the statistical facts that we have about the situation that we're dealing with, but we're gonna care for the needs of our body, the body of Christ, and, and, and by having the in-service meetings, we're still doing stuff that's online, and so if people need to, they can sure take uh, uh, advantage of that, but for the good of our uh, congregation, and for the people of this church, and as the pastor of this church, the lead pastor of this church, we're gonna have church, because we need one another and we need to meet. So hopefully that helps you in understanding um, my position on these things, and uh, uh, I, <laughs> I don't know if it blesses you or makes you mad, but I'm just telling you, praise God, that um, uh, that's what we're gonna do, and hopefully that is helpful to you. Okay, praise the Lord. Thank you, Phil. Praise God. My brother-in-law agrees. Amen. And um, <laughs> thanks for the encouragement, man. I was standing there all by myself there for a little while. Yeah, well, anyway, um, just know my heart, you guys. I'm not trying to be, like I said, adversarial, but I think sometimes that uh, there has to be some degree of pushback. And again, please do not misinterpret what I'm saying if there's risk, um, uh, you know, because of comorbidity, you know, and things of, you know, conditions that exist within people's lives beyond the viruses. I get that. I understand that completely. But so, Selah. All right. Now, how about some edification? All right. Let's open our Bibles, praise God, to the book of Hebrews. Father, we love you today. And Father, we thank you for this portion of our service. And Lord, I just want to thank you, Father, for utterance in the Holy Ghost. I thank you, Lord, for speaking to men and women's lives. I thank you, Lord God, for bringing assurance to their hearts, confidence, and peace. And Father, I thank you for the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, Father, that will bless and help each and every one of us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Praise God. You may be seated now. And if you would please, Hebrews chapter 9. <clears throat> <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 9, and I want to talk to you about looking for him and looking 
to him. How many of you know it's important that we have our eyes in the right place? Amen. And what we're going to see and what we're going to discover in our uh, lesson or message here this morning is, is that, you know, I believe that we're in a season of uh, God calling us nearer to him in our walk with him and the way that we live and the things that we do. And of course, naturally, when we do that, glory to God, there's grace and there's blessing that we experience within our lives. But I want you to notice in uh, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28, it says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Now, I want you again to notice this particularly with me, if you would. He came to bear the sins of many, and it says that unto him who looks for him, to them, I should say, that look for him, he's going to appear a second time. So it would seem to imply that not everybody's looking for him. He said to them that do look for him, he's going to appear a second time, and he's not coming for the purpose of dealing with sin, but rather he's coming to bring about the fulfillment of the promise of his salvation. Everybody say hallelujah. Everybody say he's coming again. Everybody say he's coming for me. Glory to God. To those that look for him. Now, as most of you know, I mean, we find ourselves in, in what we call uh, in religious circles, uh, the season of Advent. Okay, and the season of Advent typically is about four weeks leading up to the birth of Christ. And so there'll be different messages and things that get communicated in, in churches with regard to that. And then, of course, you know, when you talk about, uh, I, I, um, uh, in defining, I guess I would say, the word Advent, what it means is, is the arrival of a notable person. Huh? The arrival of a notable person or thing, a notable thing or a notable event. Well, a notable thing, a notable person, and a notable event showed up about 2,000 years ago in Jesus Christ. And, and his coming as Emmanuel, God with us, in other words, deity taking on flesh. He was born of a virgin, glory to God. And he came into this earthbound existence for you and for me. It sounds like this is, is ringing a little bit. Can you uh, dash that down a little bit? And so what, so what I want to talk to you about is how does that relate in current, you know, 21st century life that you and I are having to deal with or that you and I are experiencing? In other words, how do we make this something that is uh, meaningful how do we recognize it as something that's tangible within our personal lives? And, and I think that what we can do by doing that is taking a lesson from those of our past. And if you look at the scriptures, um, <clears throat> you know, like I mentioned, I wanna talk to you about the need for drawing near and being faithful to God. How many of you know we need to be faithful to God? Now's not the time to go backwards. Now is the time to go forward in our futures with him. And so, you know, it's important for us to understand that because, you know, we live in a, well, <clears throat> Paul called it a perilous time. 
He said that in the last days, perilous times will come because lovers will, or I mean people, men, will be lovers of themselves, you know, and we see that, of course. And then not only that, but if you read in the scriptures in 1 Timothy in chapter 4, it says that the Spirit speaks with, the King James uses the word expressly, but really it means, or it, it would be better defined as saying that the Spirit speaks with concern, great concern, that in the latter days, men will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And it's important for you and I to understand that sometimes the subtle reasoning of the world can often, you know, get people to be sidetracked and move in a direction that is less than what God has for them. How many of you know what I'm talking about? So it's very important that we have our eyes wide open, you know, and that our ear is attentive to him and that we're following him and not the subtle dis, uh, dictates of the world. For example, I use this, I've used it a time or two, but you know, within the narrative that we hear within the world, people uh, are, are preaching, for lack of a better way of saying it, the need for tolerance. How many of you know have heard that? Okay. Well, <clears throat> I'm all for being tolerant, but only in the right context, because here's the question that I would like to ask of you with regard to that. And that is, when they say we're to be tolerant, Tolerant of what? That's a great question. If you're asking me to be tolerant of sin, I'm not in. Are you with me? If you want me to be tolerant because someone has had a failing or they made a mistake and, and they're seeking recovery and restoration things, I'm in. But there is a huge difference between those two. And that's why the subtle reasoning of the world can often get people to go off onto a path that you really don't want to be on. Does that make sense? So thank God we can draw nigh to him and we can walk in the light of his word and we can enjoy the blessings that come, praise God, because he said that to those that look for him, he's going to appear a second time. Hallelujah. You know, the Bible talks about you and I to lift up our heads because our redemption draws near. Now, a lot of people argue the point and say, well, where is the sign of his coming? Everything seems to be like it was. Well, listen, dear friend, you know, our timing and God's timing are really two different things. Are you with me? And not only that, but when God says things, a lot of times we have a tendency to want to interpret them as it best suits us. Thanks for your enthusiasm. I think you're about as excited now as when Glenn first started the service. Hallelujah. But you know, the thing of it is, I know you're just listening, but you know, the thing of it is, is, is that, that we, have to, we have to be careful about the way that we live and how we live. And thank God he's given us his word so that we can walk in the light of that word and look for his second coming. When we read the scriptures of Jesus' first advent, there were those that looked for his coming. They were looking. And conversely, there were those that they didn't have a clue and probably, more importantly, they didn't really care. You say, what are you talking about? Well, there was a, a bunch of, uh, we call them wise men, 
uh, the Magi, some type of a fraternal order that we understand historically maybe uh, uh, moved around uh, in, in groups of maybe 20 to 50. And we understand, uh, again, historically, that this particular group probably came from Persia, which is a bit of a trek to get all the way to Israel, somewhere in, in the neighborhood of maybe 1,500 miles. And so when they showed up, you know, in, in Judea, and they went to the king and they said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? You know, when you're a dictator, you really don't like competition. Huh? So Herod said, uh, tell me more about this. And he brought all of his, you know, officials and different people, you know, around him and said, what's this all about and what's this supposed to be? And they said, well, I don't know, you know, the Bible says, uh, or the scriptures say that he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. Okay, and that's really all they knew. Now, what's interesting to me, we're talking about, you know, to those that look for him, he's going to appear a second time. So you got this group of men that travel for however many miles, and let's just say it wasn't just across the street. But they travel as far as they, they, they traveled in order to bring and to honor and to worship this king. And so they find out about all the facts. And what's interesting to me is, is that group would travel the distance that they did, but Herod wouldn't even travel eight miles down to Bethlehem to find out for himself. Well, Jesus came. It's a historical fact that Jesus was born into this earth. Now, whether you believe whether or not he was a Christ is a whole nother issue all unto itself, but he came. And he said, if I go, I'll come again. And he was raised again by the glory of the Father, hallelujah, from the dead. And we have witness and testimony throughout the scriptures that they saw him go up. And we also have witness and testimony that angels stood there and said, this same Jesus that you have seen go up into heaven will come again in like manner. And so, my dear friends, hallelujah, he's coming again. Amen. Glory to God. And it's important for the church to always be mindful of this and live with that understanding and that knowing that, praise God, he's coming. To those that look for him, he's going to appear a second time. Well, these people, they were looking for him. And, and, and now again, Herod had his reaction to it. But think about Anna and think about this guy by the name of Simeon. Simeon was an old gentleman. The Spirit of God spoke to him and said that he would see the salvation of humanity, or actually Israel, before his home going. He was led, the Bible says, by the Spirit to the temple when Jesus was taken there to be dedicated. Now, what's interesting about that is that in the scriptures, in Luke chapter uh, um, 2 and 25, it says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and, of the, same, or, and, and the same man, listen, was just, everybody say just, and he was devout, everybody say devout. In other words, he was faithful, hallelujah, and he was just or righteous. Now notice, waiting for the consolation of Israel. In other words, waiting to be consoled by heaven 
with regard to the needs of the nation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. Now, he said some things and so on and so forth. But in this same uh, chapter, in chapter 2, verse 38, it talks about this, this woman named Anna, and she was of great age. And I thought to myself, well, what's that mean? Well, the Bible says she was married seven years before evidently her husband passed away. She was a widow of 84, four score, uh, four score and four. So she was 84 plus the seven, that makes her 91. And she got married. And so let's, let, you know, back then I think they got married when they were kind of young, okay? Let's say 15, all right? I don't know what the number is, but you know, give me a break here, will you? So we're up to 91 plus 15, this girl, this woman was 106 at least. That's pretty much a great age, right? But she was a prophetess, the Bible says. So don't tell me that women can't be anointed to preach. Hallelujah. Well, so much for that. That's not our subject. You know, in some places, they don't let women in the pulpit. A bunch of goofballs, they need to read their Bible. Okay, thanks for your enthusiasm. Women, I thought I would have got a little bit more response out of you than that, but you know, whatever, okay. Hallelujah. So it says in verse 38, she coming in at that instant gave thanks likewise to the Lord and spake of him, or, or spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Israel. You see, the message of the gospel is something that's not of interest to everyone because of the hardness of people's heart, because of just the sin that is in their life and the unwillingness to submit to the gospel that Jesus came and gave us, they're not interested. But there are those that are. And there are those that are hungry. And those are the ones that God has called you and I, the church, to go after, to seek and to save those that are lost. And so she spake to them again to those that were looking for him. I want to ask you this important question this morning. Are you looking? What are you looking at? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm looking at my portfolio and I'm looking at my 401 and I'm looking at, forget it, okay? Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be responsible, but I'll tell you what, there's a lot more important priorities in life than whether or not your, how big your pile is. Thanks for your excitement, hallelujah. Because the thing of it is, is you can't store up enough of anything in order to be kept. Huh? You know, in a moment's time. I mean, they're talking right now, you know, um, and I don't know, you know, you hear all kinds of conspiracy theories, but by 2030, nobody's going to own anything. You heard that one? You know? I'm telling you what, these people are nuts. And that's just me. My wife's saying, stay on focus, task, <laughs> just preach. Praise God. But I want to ask you a question. What solicited these pe this behavior in these people? Whether it was Simeon, whether it was Anna, or even the wise men. I mean, what, what is it that drove this kind of behavior within their life? Because I want me some of it. Huh? Because I know that those that look for him, he's going to appear a second time. And so when we look at this, we understand that first and foremost, there was a promise. 
made of his coming that brought, a, brought about this, this watchfulness and this waiting in those that believed. In other words, these people believed God's promise. And so they looked for him, and guess what? He showed up. And we know that for those that look for him, he is going to appear a second time. So I tell you what, praise God, in these last days that we're living in, it is an imperative within our lives as believers, praise God, that there is this consciousness within our hearts that he is coming again. And hopefully in the context of that, it gives shape and form to the way we live to our behavior, to how we treat others, and what it is that he has asked us to do as believers, can I get a witness? Amen? And so God has made a promise to you and I as well of another coming. And so with that, we should be excited. But with any promise, sometimes the fulfillment of that promise is unknown, timing-wise. You know, what's he doing, man? Come on, show up. I, I, I believe in escape theology. I want out. Huh? Now, you would never admit that. But you know, there are a lot of folk, they don't want to go through no problems. Huh? And we in America, we have no clue what it's like to suffer affliction. No, we really don't. Not like all the nations of the world other than us. Go to Africa and live there for a while. Huh? Go to Egypt and live there for a while. I mean, you know, we are of all people most blessed. Can I get another witness? So we ought to thank God. But it's important for us not to whine and complain, but rather praise God to stand up and be accounted for as the children of God. Can you say amen? And he's coming again. And because the promise's fulfillment is prolonged, sometimes weariness, sometimes fainting, and yeah, even abandonment can occur in people's lives. You and I all know people that are out of fellowship with God. They're not in a church. They're not engaged in the kingdom business. Come on. Well, you know what? That's not the place that you or I want to be in. And it isn't the place they want to be in. The Bible says that we're to exhort one another. Call people near. That's what it means to exhort exhort one another and so much the more as we see the day approaching. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on, but I'm telling you what, you guys, the church, the kingdom of heaven is our safe harbor. It is the place where we belong, where the children of God, you know, it's time to put aside and lay aside all of the offenses and everything, you know, that try, well, I don't like this and I don't like that and I don't like the other thing. There's gonna be a lot of things that you don't like. But I'm telling you what, at the end of the day, we need one another. Are you listening to me? And that's why the Bible says we're supposed to forbear one another in love. In other words, put up with people's idiosyncrasies. There's some strange people in the world. And there's strange people in the church. God, I've been preaching for 40 years. You'd think you'd get it straight. You know, if everybody was perfect like me, then we wouldn't have problems, right? But in the meantime, now praise God, we should thank God for the community that we call the church. Are you listening to me? You had a chance to say amen big time right there, and you missed it. 
I'll give you another chance. Can you say amen? Amen. amen? amen. Praise God. But there's this, you know, throughout the scriptures, you guys, you read where Jesus is forever, and even the writers, you know, in all of the letters, they're, they're encouraging us, you know, not to faint, lose heart, and give up. Jesus, you know, made that statement. And other places, we're encouraged to keep on keeping on. And you guys are a long ways from, you know, here. Hi. Hallelujah. All of these places in the scripture. You remember when Jesus talked about the ten virgins? He spake this parable in Matthew chapter 25 about these virgins. And what was it all about? Because their, their, their groom was coming. And they were to prepare themselves. Ten of them were wise. Ten of them were foolish. And so, and, 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 and here's the deal. Why did they become? Because he delayed his coming. And so much of the time when it comes to our believing God and trusting in what it is that he said, you know, when it's prolonged, when it's drawn out, when we're not seeing the manifestation of what we desire, we want to quit, we want to give up. But all over in the scriptures it says, don't you dare quit. Don't you ever give up. You keep on keeping on. Because at the appointed time in his season, he will show up in your life. Are you listening to me? Well, so five got in, five didn't. Now, the interesting thing about that is, is that, you know, when they tried to get in, they couldn't. The scripture says, he says, I never knew you. So in other words, they must have had some kind of a little facade going on, like they were like all the rest of them, but they really weren't. How many of you know what I'm talking about? But it's not just that, it's even the parable of the talents. You know, he gave five, two, and one to all of them, you know, and they went out and did business and, and they took care of things. And when, when he returned, see, all of this is in reference to the fact that he is coming again. So we are to be found of him doing the master's bidding. And well, you say, well, what is that? Well, just hang on a minute. I'll get to that in a moment. But you know, with the five, two, and the one, the one took the five and doubled it. The two took that and doubled it. And the one, he buried it in the backyard. Don't be the one. You be the two or the five. Because guess what? In the end, God said, well, I shouldn't say God, but the, the, the master said, take the cat that had the one and give it to the ten. In other words, there is an expectation of performance, dear friends, where our lives are concerned. Everybody say, I can do it. You could do it, man. I'm telling you what, he gave you the Holy Ghost and the indwelling presence of God that empowers you to be able to fulfill divine purpose in your life. Hallelujah. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can love your wife. You can love your husband. You can love your children as Christ loved the church. Well, I just can't. That's not true. If you're a child of God, born of the Spirit of God, and he dwells in you, you can do it. Now, you may not feel like it, but you can do it. Thanks for your excitement. Hallelujah. Why? Well, that puts a little pressure on me. Yes, it does. Huh? Come on. Glory to God. This is good preaching, Pastor. Hallelujah. Amen. <clears throat> in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10 and 35, you don't have to turn there. But it says, don't cast away your confidence. 
Don't cast away your confidence. It has a great recompense of reward. Isn't that what it says? What's the next verse? Help me here. For you have need of endurance so that after, everybody say after. Say it again. Say it again. After you've done the will of God, you might receive the what? When do we receive the promise? After we've done the will of God. You know, when it comes to loving your spouse, loving your kids, and loving whoever, you know, sometimes in the, in the, in the time of doing that, it isn't the most exciting time of our lives. You ought to look and see the face expressions that I see. You can, it's like, boy, have you got that right. Well, anyway, but I'm telling you what, after we've done the will of God, we'll receive the promise. There's a blessing in your obedience. Are you with me? I can use, uh, it comes to me just now that there was a couple in our church, and this would have been, I don't know, 40 years ago probably. They ended up in a divorce, and I had to sit across the desk and try to encourage uh, the one who had been um, 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 what would you say um, taken advantage of for lack of a better way of saying it and you know when you're let's see I probably was 20 I don't even know if I was 25 years old and you know what dude a 25 year old doesn't know, really know how to counsel people in, when it comes to marriage did you know that <laughs> huh and so I'm standing there or sitting there totally lost in, in this circumstance, and I'm saying on the inside of myself, God, you have got to help me or we're in big trouble because I didn't know what to tell him. What do you tell him? You know, when, when your spouse is unfaithful and, you know, not just once or twice, but, you know, I mean, uh, the guy was a trooper. Are you listening to me? And she was a clown. She was foolish. And so I'm sitting there and I'm asking the question, God, what am I supposed to tell this person? And this is what came up out of my heart. He just said, you know what? I don't even begin to understand how it is that you feel when you're sitting in that chair the way, I mean, I can't even begin to imagine what that must be like. But I said, not me, but him, that if you will walk in love, as it's described within the Bible, towards this situation, toward the person, this and that. And that doesn't, well, I don't need to have time to get into that, but, but if you'll do it, God will redeem and bless your life. And you know what? He did it. Now let me ask you a question, was it easy? No, but he did what God wanted him to do in that situation, and he brought, brought this pretty little thing along, you know, and a relationship began out of that, and now, 30-some-plus years later, they're happily married. You know, I wouldn't wish something like that off on anybody, but the reality is, is that life happens. But you know, that's why God gave us his word to insulate and to protect us and to instruct us on how we are to relate to one another. If you've got problems in your marriage right now, God can fix them if, listen, if you're willing to submit yourself to him. Are you with me? It isn't the problem of the other person. Now, they may have, you know, <laughs> their idiosyncrasies, but at the end of the day, 
you know, your, your own personal and final satisfaction is gonna be in your choice and your decision to obey God. Did you hear me? I mean, I've been putting up with Joan for 43 years. Huh? I mean, come on, give me some sympathy. I mean, you have no idea what it's like to live with this woman. It's so hard. Oh. Did you hear that? She said, if you thought it was hard before, wait till later. No, I'm telling you, she's the least of my worries. And uh, what a grace that she's been in my life. But you can, you can have the same kind of experience in your life if you're willing. You know, there's stuff, you guys, that we deal with in our lives that, I mean, you know, it, it, it seems like it's impossible to figure out. But you know what? God can do it if we will lay our heart on the altar. Did you hear me? That, that, that right there becomes the issue. Sometimes we, we think we have, but we really haven't. But you know when you have. Does that make sense to you? See, I knew I needed to get saved, but I didn't want to give Jesus all of my heart and all my soul because then I was going to have to give up all the rest of the stuff I was doing. But it wasn't until I was willing to say, God, I, I don't care. I will give you everything. See, how many of you know God knows when you get to that place? And he also knows when you're not. He usually will say, oh yeah, I've heard that before. But when you say, God, I give you everything in my life, in my relationship. You want your relationship fixed? Stop looking at all of the problems and why you think it's wrong and start looking at what it is that he said that you need to do. And he'll fix it. Well, that's good. We could quit right now. Amen. You say, what's that got to do with Jesus coming again? I don't know. Sometimes, you know, people need uh, help. Are you with me? And that's what we're all about here. Say, well, but your message is not homiletically correct. True. I have more rabbit trails and side roads than any man alive, probably. But I am more interested in God speaking to you about your circumstance so it can get fixed than I am whether or not, you know, I waxed eloquent and got all my three points in a poem in in the 35 minutes that I'm allowed. Well, yeah, so much for allowance. That's what's important because that's where we live. You know, I don't want you to come into my office and say, hey, by the way, I filed papers and it's over. I want you to come into my office and say, hey, I listened to that message. I did what you said. And man, my life is like heaven on earth. That's what I want. Are you with me? So if I have to shoot up a red flag or a flare or whatever to get you to pause for a moment and say, you know what? He might have a point. Then praise God, I've done my job. Because I can tell you this much about it. Marriage was God's idea. And he, the one who prescribed it, knows how to do it. And you can have heaven on earth. And it takes some fighting for what is right. It takes some protecting. It takes a whole lot of learning. Amen? You know, when it comes, you know, 
whoever that guy was that wrote that, you know, men are from Venus and women are from Mars or whatever the title was, I think he had it right. Don't you think, guys, that women are a little strange? Huh? None of you even will answer the question. Okay, ladies, I'm sure that you have a difficult time trying to figure your man out. Huh? But you know, <laughs> hey, shh. Anyway, um, um, he can help you, and he wants you to help. He wants to help you. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be pinching yourself to say, you know, man, is this real? Hallelujah, because it's so good. Y'all believe that? How many are still wondering? I was about to say something, but I, no, 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 don't go there. Well, anyway, later. Y'all glad you came? I'm going to see how I can figure out to close this up. Let me make this statement to you. I'm just, uh, I hope that you understand the spirit of what, now is not the time to draw back where our lives are concerned. Now is the time to lean into our relationships with God, our relationships with one another, and in the advancement of his kingdom. Are you listening to me? Because, I mean, because the thing of it is, is God wants you to, to move forward with, with um, you know, and to live, maybe that's a better way of saying it, uh, with expectant faith. You know, and if we're not, if there isn't that expectancy, I'd like to suggest to you that maybe we're looking at the wrong thing. I don't know when he's coming. I don't know what crazy people are gonna do, but God is still God. And he still wants to fulfill divine promise in your life and in mine. And so if we'll keep our focus on that, I believe that he can do some, some amazing things. And the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, when you look for somebody's arrival, there's preparation. If you know somebody's coming, and Jesus is coming again, then we get ready for him, right? When my wife is having, you know, family or guests or whatever, man, it's a whirlwind in our house. I didn't think it could get any cleaner, but away she goes. You know, I'm looking around, I'm thinking, hey, I think it's okay. You know, what's the big deal? How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you don't quite understand that? How many of you decided it's not worth fighting for? Yeah, just let it be, man, just, you know, whatever. And, and she says, well, you're a good one to talk. You know, and I said, well, how's that? She says, you know, we're gonna have company and you go out and clean the garage. I figure, you know, the spirit of clean has come on us. So we might as well just get after it, you know, what I'm saying. But and again, you know, again, when people, somebody's coming, man, you know, they, we prepare for them. How many of you have ever had somebody come and you weren't prepared? Oh, Shondai, yeah. But you know, when, when you know they're coming, when they arrive, you say, we've been expecting you. That's the voice that Jesus wants to hear from you when he shows up a second time. I don't know when. You know, read 2, Corinthians, or 2 Peter chapter three. You know, when Peter wrote about this, you know, he said, I'm saying all of this to stir you up and to get you going because there's so many people that will scoff at the idea of Jesus' return. Many of them, they don't believe in God. They don't believe that he's coming. That, you know, that where is the sign of his coming? You know, you got time to read that with me just real quick? Look at this with me in 2 Peter chapter three. Give heed 
to what it is that's said in this letter that was inspired by the Holy Spirit that Peter penned. Verse 1, this second epistle, beloved, I now write, into you, uh, write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets of the command, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, well, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Now listen, for this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God, underline those words, by the word of God, by what it is that God said, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water, what did it do? It perished. And that, of course, he's talking about the flood of Noah. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word. I want you to underline those those. those uh, Words right there, by the same word. God said there was gonna be a flood. Guess what, there was a flood, huh? By the same word, in verse seven, uh, are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and the destruction or perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. You know, that's hard to get your head wrapped around, huh? Huh? The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men consider slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night into which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements shall be melt with a fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation or manner of life and godliness looking for everybody say I'm looking yeah looking for and hasten the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens will be on fire, or uh, the heavens being on fire will be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, underline those words, according to his promise, are looking for a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. So, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Doing what it is he asks you to do. You say, well, what about the rapture? You know, am I gonna have to do this burn thing or am I gonna miss, or, you know, am I gonna miss that? Because, you know, after all, I'm still kind of an escape theology kind of guy or gal. I tell you what, just stay ready to go. You know, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? People say, well, are you a pre-tribulationist? Are you a mid-tribulationist? Or are you a pan-tribulationist? No, not pan, post. I say I'm a pan 
tribulationist. You say, what's that mean? It's all going to pan out. <laughs> Praise God, I'm just going to stay ready to go. Are you listening to me? That's so good. Praise God. I hope that this is a blessing to all of you. I hope that this is encouragement to you that, you know, if somehow your attention, your focus, your, your thinking has been, you know, uh, diverted and the distraction has become, you know, large and looming within your life, that you'll take this message, this exhortation, this admonition that God has given to you today and focus your attention on him. Because I tell you what, he's going to find us in peace without spot and blameless. Amen. Lord, I've been waiting for you. Hallelujah. And I tell you what, that whole redemption thing is going to be, quote, unquote, out of this world. Are you listening to me? Let's everybody stand together. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. If you'd just bow your heads with me for just a moment here. Hallelujah. You know, there's people in the grandstands of heaven that are encouraging us on, hallelujah, to run our race, the one that's been set before us. It may not be the one they had to run, but we have our own. And if you're here this morning, let's just bow our heads for a moment. If you're here this morning and you, and discouragement or despair has somehow tried to get a hold of you, we're gonna break that off of you today in the name of Jesus. You know, uh, people don't realize, you know, like the Bible says, God has not given us the spirit of fear. So what he's saying is, is that there's literally an entity, a spiritual entity called the spirit of fear. I believe the same thing happens with discouragement or depression or any of the things that are related to that type of condition in a person's life. So while your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, no one's looking around, please. Hallelujah, thank you, Father. God, I wanna thank you so very much for all of those that are here within the sound of my voice, also those, Father, that may be watching um, through the internet. And Father God, I lift every one of them up to you today, right now, in the name of Jesus, and that if somehow or another, discouragement, even depression or despair, Father, has tried to grasp a hold of them, Father, we know that this is not the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning the child of God. And so, Father God, we come together as a congregation of people to resist what it is that hell has attempted to assail against us right now. And so, Father, I want to thank you, Father, for faith rising within men and women's hearts to take hold together with against this depression, this discouragement, this despair that has tried to latch on to them. You as a congregation, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I thank you that you have not given me the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so therefore, I resist discouragement, despair, and, and depression in Jesus' name. I come against it. I resist it 
And I thank you, Lord, for setting me free. Thank you, Lord, for bringing hope and cheer to my heart. And Father, as I pray right now, I ask you, Father God, to come to each and every one of them, just as they have, hallelujah, responded to you. And I take authority, Father, over depression, despair, discouragement in the lives of these people in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We break your power. And Father God, I thank you right now for bringing back to them the joy of their salvation, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's just begin to praise him. Let's rejoice with these. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Let's rejoice with them. Come on, church. Hallelujah. We rejoice, Father, in what it is that you've done to set the captive free, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, Father. Yes, and bring blessing to the lives of these, your people. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And Father, while our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, I pray for these marriages, Father, in our church. And Lord, I know that there's been any number of things that have assailed uh, themselves against these couples and their families and their lives. But Father, I'm asking you by the Holy Ghost to help them, Father, right now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Those of you that are married, I want you to just say this. Say, Lord, I look to you. I surrender all. I ask for your help to heal and to mend and to make me whole. Help me, Lord, to be the person you've called me to be. And I thank you for it. Father, I pray for these marriages, Lord. God, may there be a strengthening that occurs. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. Mm -mm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I hear the Holy Ghost saying some, some strong words have been spoken. Those strong words have found a resting place within individuals' hearts. Those words need to be uprooted first by repentance and then by the act of asking forgiveness. Father, I pray that you'll speak to the men and women's hearts or whoever it is that, to whom this may apply. And Father God, that they will do what needs to be done. And I pray God that with the uprooting of that seed that's been planted, that God a new, a fresh, and a fertile soil will be prepared to receive the kind of seed that brings life and blessing and health to their homes. And Father, I thank you for your grace and such incredible, incredible mercy. 
God, help us to put a watch over our lips. Father, we see, say those things, Father, that, that edify and that bring grace. God, and finally, I just pray that you will draw us near to you. God, may, may we, as we draw near, Father, that you draw near to us. And I thank you, Father God, for great reasons to rejoice and blessing, Father, in homes and houses and families and lives and, and the church. And we just thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. How many of you glad you came to church today? Praise God, amen. Well, listen, I don't have anything left and it's uh, 11.15. <coughs> so, why don't you just greet everybody and say, man, I'm sure glad you showed up and you can be dismissed. God bless you. We'll see you this Wednesday night. Hallelujah. Amen.